Are racial inequities and endemic racism something we nurses and healthcare professionals need to think about and actually consider doing something about? Let's talk about it right here on episode 277 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion as we can in our special bonus COVID-19 episodes. Meanwhile, I still want to support you in your nursing career and your personal development and discuss other issues salient to you and our healthcare delivery communities. Thanks for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. Now, very recently, I published a post on LinkedIn, actually an article on LinkedIn, called The Universal Impact of Racial Disparities and Systemic Racism. It's everyone's responsibility. That post has gotten a fair amount of attention. There's been over 200 views, a number of comments. People have been in touch with me. And I believe this type of information is really striking a nerve with people right now because of what's going on in our country. I know we've all been focused to a great extent on the COVID-19 pandemic for these last six months for very obvious and very good reasons. Now, for the last several months, we've also been focused on the death of George Floyd, the death of Breonna Taylor, other circumstances that have arisen since George Floyd's death and prior, and the Black Lives Matter movement that has grown significantly, exponentially, actually around the world since George Floyd's murder and the reaction to it. I did publish a very brief episode on my reactions to George Floyd's death just after the situation occurred. And I've been sitting with this a great deal, doing some writing about it, talking to a lot of people about it, and really thinking about what this means and how we as healthcare professionals have a responsibility morally and ethically to address racial disparities and systemic racism, especially within healthcare delivery and in our places of work and what we witness as healthcare providers. Now, I'm going to read a few quotes here and there from this article and then just expound on them a little bit. And it's important for us to bear in mind the ways in which people of color have been mistreated throughout the history of this country and also throughout the history of healthcare delivery. Racial disparities and the COVID-19 pandemic are not mutually exclusive. And when we look at the ways in which communities of color have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, this really needs to call our attention to disparities within the society and within healthcare itself. So one section of this article, I'm just going to read it and then I'll react to it a little bit. It's a section called Undue Burdens. 
If we cannot collectively take responsibility for identifying and intelligently addressing the conditions that underlie the preponderance of coronavirus disease and death borne by Native Americans, the Latinx community, and African Americans, then we also cannot begin to assuage the systemic problems that make healthcare and the machinations of our socioeconomic system so pervasively hostile to people of color and the communities where they live and work. From active voter suppression, cynical congressional redistricting, and the digital educational divide, to stop and frisk policing, chokeholds, and higher rates of morbidity and mortality in communities of color, we have power structures that disproportionately favor the material and health-related enrichment of the wealthy, the privileged, and the white, while disenfranchising, disempowering, hobbling, and sickening the non-white. Yes, the civil rights, women's rights, indigenous rights, gay rights, and other crucial social movements that exploded in the 1960s made some laudable headway vis-a-vis -vis unfair Jim Crow laws, systemic women's disempowerment, the attempted raising of Native American cultural heritage, and the horrific homophobia that still appear frighteningly close in the rearview mirror. But even now, two decades into the 21st century, we at times seem to have moved backward in so many shameful ways for which there's no viable excuse, only the empty and reprehensible defense of endemic privilege and the stunning silence of those who thoughtlessly enjoy that privilege, unquote. So let me unpack this a little bit. We've known for decades, many decades, that people of color, African-American, Native American, the Latinx community, are disproportionately affected by many different morbidities and have higher mortality rates in many different aspects of their health. Now, some people might claim that it has to do with way of life, that it's a behavioral issue, that it's a lifestyle issue. And while that can always be factored into any disparities in terms of morbidity and mortality, we have to look a little deeper. Now, if people of color tend to be the ones who are essential workers who have to go to work no matter what, which is happening right now during the pandemic, people who work in transportation, service, all sorts of different areas where people of color are the people delivering those services, well, then they are going to be exposed, for instance, to COVID-19 much more than privileged people who are able to stay home and work from their computer while their kids are home. So there's one point right there. Next is the fact that in healthcare, we have discovered, and it has been shown through research, that people of color are treated differently by medical providers. There's been quite a bit published about this, and we really cannot deny that racism does play a part in the ways in which people of color are or are not treated within our healthcare system. These disparities exist, they've been documented, and hopefully this is slowly changing, but obviously not changing quickly enough. Now, if we think back on history in terms of people of color and medicine in this country, we don't need to look much further than the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, 
which you may have read about during nursing school, maybe even during high school, or you haven't heard about. So there was a cohort of African-American men who were involved in a quote-unquote clinical study conducted between 1932 and 1972 by the United States Public Health Service. What they wanted to do was observe the natural course of untreated syphilis. And the African-American men in the study were told they were receiving health care from the federal government of the United States, but they were not told about their diagnosis. They were told they had bad blood, and they were not told that they actually were not receiving treatment for that condition. And for 40 years, these men were followed, and they were basically guinea pigs. They were a control group for the researchers so that they could study congenital syphilis and just watch the course of how these men became sicker and sicker and eventually lost their lives. That study was an incredibly cynical, unethical, immoral study that obviously could not happen today. But the fact that that study ended in 1972 tells us a great deal about how long we've actually been making strides in this regard. So if we take it in terms of racism, 100% of these participants were rural African-American men who had very limited access to health information and very little knowledge about what was happening with their bodies if they knew anything about what was happening. And they were susceptible to the cynicism and the, the foolery and the egregious lies of the federal government. So we can understand that the mistreatment of African-American men during this particular study went, went through 1972, damaged the trust of the black community towards public health and medicine in the United States. These were abuses where these people thought they were getting preventive health care, but were actually being caused to suffer by not receiving treatment at all. And I'm looking at a Wikipedia entry about this particular experiment, and it says, quote, a 1999 survey showed that 80% of African-American men believed the men in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment had been injected with syphilis. A 2016 paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that the historical disclosure of the Tuskegee experiment in 1972 is correlated with increases in medical mistrust and mortality and decreases in both outpatient and in patient-physician interactions for older black men. So we can see that through this study, through the impact of the study through the decades, black Americans are known to and understandably mistrusting of the American government and the healthcare system. So this particular situation which I remember studying during my bachelor's program in nursing was shocking when I first heard about it. And the reverberations of that particular study are still going on today, 50 years after the study ended. Now, during this quote that I read of from my article just a few minutes ago, I talked about voter suppression, 
chokeholds, stop and frisk policing, higher rates of morbidity and mortality, power structure, etc. Now, what I want to say here is that if in this country we still see that black men are targeted by police, if we still see that even trying to use Airbnb while black, which has actually been an issue over the last years. There's been, there were studies done undercover of how people were discriminated against using Airbnb if they had African-American type names or if they had a, or if their profile photograph showed a person of color. We also know that People of color are disproportionately imprisoned in this country. And now with COVID-19 beginning to ravage prisons, we can see how COVID is taking on the mantle of actually ravaging those populations within the prisons. And we also know that the preponderance of people becoming sick and dying from COVID-19 are also people of color. So if we put all of these pieces together, and if we put together the ways in which Native Americans have been disenfranchised in this country for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the Latinx community, and we think about the Jim Crow laws from the 40s and 50s, we have a long way to go. So African Americans, for instance, are 13 to 14% of the U.S. population, but they carry a disproportionate COVID-19 disease burden. And Hopkins Medical, Johns Hopkins Medicine, has an article that I will link in the show notes that said that African Americans are experiencing more serious illness and death due to COVID-19 than white people. And according to media reports in Chicago, where African Americans comprise a third of the city's population, they account for half of those who've tested positive in the coronavirus and get this three quarters of COVID-19 deaths. Likewise, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, African Americans make up 70% of deaths due to the coronavirus, but only 26% of the population. Now I'd like to read a quote from that Johns Hopkins article that's also quoted in my LinkedIn article. Crowded living conditions are a difficult challenge that is a result of longstanding racial residential segregation and prior redlining policies. It's difficult for 10 individuals living in a three-room apartment to appropriately physically distance. And in this article, it also notes that, quote, people working in environmental services, food services, the transportation sector and home health cannot work from home. These positions put workers in close contact with others. More quote, inconsistent access to health care due to lack of insurance or underinsurance means being unable to afford doctor's visits unable to afford medications or equipment to manage chronic disease and is this, these are essential, quote, to lowering the risk of death from COVID-19 and other conditions. For instance, a patient with badly controlled diabetes or asthma due to inconsistent treatment is more at risk for severe, even deadly coronavirus infection, unquote. So we know that there is actually a physiological effect of stress on the body 
And studies have actually shown that there is a physiological stress effect on the body from systemic racism. So the chronic stress that people of color experience in this country and other countries actually wears down immunity and makes them more vulnerable to infectious disease. So as healthcare professionals, the point I would like to make here and that I make in my article is that it's everyone's responsibility to really think about and look with a clear-eyed view of these realities of endemic racism, let's say here in the United States. And then we need to figure out how we're going to actually work to unravel that and to create more equal treatment. At least let's begin in healthcare where we actually can have an impact. So nurses, physicians, physical therapists, social workers, psychiatrists, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists, we can leverage our place within the healthcare delivery system and we can force the places where we work or the organizations that we're involved in to rewrite policies and procedures that aren't considering the needs of vulnerable populations, communities of color, but also the economically disadvantaged, no matter what race they are, disabled people, the LGBTQ community, any vulnerable population that does not receive its full due in the healthcare realm. So we can also help our progressive colleagues, the people who are really forward thinking, the people who are dedicated to anti-racism, we can help them move up in the ranks of leadership of healthcare, or maybe even into Congress or in, as state legislators, or they can run for mayor or they can run for city council and have a larger impact on how policy procedure, legislation and medical practice are put into place. So if we can get these more fair-minded leaders into positions of power, especially leaders of color, so this is the way we can start to move the needle, reject the status quo, and have more of a voice and a sense of agency when it comes to racism, when it comes to the maltreatment of those who are more vulnerable. So, yes, we need police reform. Yes, we need many states and cities to look deeply at this as well as the federal government. And we also need to look at issues that affect communities of color, including substance use disorders, diabetes, hypertension, the proclivity towards stroke, heart disease, etc. We need to look at these for all Americans, but I'm speaking here specifically about communities of color. So we need to use our intelligence, our critical thinking, and strategic planning in order to not just shout into the echo chambers of our personal Facebook feeds, but to actually get out there and do something. Now, you might not be the type of person who wants to start a podcast and talk about racism and, and disparities, and that's fine. You might not want to write blog posts. You might not want to use those types of platforms. However, you can educate your neighbors, your family. You can go to the administrators and the leaders within your healthcare facility or organization where you happen to work. You can write letters to the editor. You can call or meet with or write to your state or federal 
legislators, your leaders who are elected to lead the people. So if you're a person of conscience, and especially if you have relative privilege, if you're white, if you're a white man like myself, if you're college educated, if you had access to healthcare and education throughout your life, or if you're just a person who doesn't want to sit back anymore and just fiddle while Rome is burning and you want to do something. So figure out a way that you would like to use your voice. This is an ongoing battle for the heart and soul of our country and the world. And we healthcare providers can really stake our claim, put a stake in the ground and make our voices heard. So I'm ready to push back. I'm using writing, social media, conversations with people I know, calls to my legislators, as well as this podcast as my platforms for speaking out and trying to affect change. What is the change you want to see in the world and how can you actually contribute to that change? If your issue is indigenous rights, go for it. Educate yourself and do something about it. Just this past week, mid-July 2020, the US Supreme Court declared that the eastern half of Oklahoma is actually Native American land. That was a landmark decision that goes back to how Congress did not strip this particular tribe of its tribal lands. And that loophole has brought us back to these tribes actually potentially receiving a great deal of land and sovereignty back. So if violence against the transgender community is your issue, you can do something about it. Homophobia, xenophobia, selfishness, racism, political malfeasance, whatever it happens to be that is your thing, that is where you can put your energy. So if you're ready to push back, if you're ready to join whatever fight is the fight that speaks to your conscience, to your spirit, to your soul, to your heart, to your head, that is the fight in which you can join. So the question I ask at the end of my article is, are we ready to push back or are we going to let the moment slip through our fingers yet again? In the final analysis, that is not a rhetorical question. So thanks for listening. The show notes and those links I mentioned will be at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 277. I hope you feel empowered and informed from this episode. And please take whatever inspired action you feel is really in your heart to take at this time. Feel free to contact me at nursekeith.com. You can also email me at keith at nursekeith.com. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts, media entities, and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education, educate the public from a scientifically informed perspective, and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. Check out Ars Longa Media at arslonga.media. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch, take that inspired action. And this is Nurse Keith saying goodbye for now from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.